Hi, Nick. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so funny when people, or at least me, when I want to, um, I don't know, I, I call the, I like to call the radio every time I have a crush on someone. Yeah, I'm calling because I have a crush on this guy. He's so cute and so intelligent. I'm smart and sweet and caring, but we're both from a country that has war and destruction and we both have like people to take care of and and we both live in very different countries, far apart, just like the rest of our kind, just a diaspora spreading all over the globe. So we cannot meet. I don't think we can meet or. Yeah. So instead we call the radio, I guess, just trying not to contact him so much. So instead I'm calling you. All right. Bye. From Love and Radio, you're listening to the Secrets Hotline at 929 Secrets. I'm Nick Venderbilt. Do you want to sort of put the call on hold? Is it something that's sort of on your mind still or has it been completely subsumed by the news? Yeah, it has. It has. Yeah. I mean, the to, I mean, to be super honest with you, I after I hung up with you last time, I was like, I don't know why I I um I promised Nick that it's interesting. Like it's I don't know if it's interesting at all. I was like, oh, it would be fun to talk about that with Nick and like explain to him how sometimes like when we can't travel, like, like these people take us home somehow, you know, but now it's all weird. It's not really, it's all out of context and, you know. So if you're up for it, I mean, I think, I mean, I'd also just like to know what, what your experience has been like and and, in the context of the earthquake as well, you know, I think it seems, it seems valuable. So, yeah, I mean, try it is it i mean my only fear is is it's like it's out of it's not tasteful you know it's like gross that's my only fear you know yeah like people are dying we're talking about love and relationships and well i I think you can say that and i'll keep that in but your personal experience is still valid you know Mm -hmm. okay Alrighty. i mean yeah let's do it it will probably feel good for me (laughs) okay um, in terms of anonymity, I feel like we kind of like we have to mention Syria, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a way to like, yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. this. Um, it's the only reason I feel like uh, compelled to to share it with you. Yeah, can you give me just like a little bit of background? How long have you been living in the U.S. for now? I came in about 2007 or eight to um, get my master's degree. So I've been here in the U.S. for 14, 15 years. What was the status of the civil war in Syria at the time? Oh, there was nothing. In 2007, I heard that we had as many tourists as Australia. I don't know if that's correct, but I heard it from somebody. 
I don't know. I grew up in the country, so for me, it's normal. But we experienced uh, being under like a dictatorship as as if it's a normal thing. So it, it didn't like we didn't notice that we wore military fatigue for public school. I didn't think it was a big deal that we had like um, a cl- military class to learn basic military things like combat. Not combat, but we, for example, you'd learn a few things about like a really old Russian rifle. <laughs> you learn about like, um, I don't know what's in English, like the distance of a bullet, stuff like that. It's really uh, weird to say it out loud, but it was actually very normal. So you went to school in the U.S. for doing art? Yeah, yeah. Did you have sort of a plan to go back? Like what was your long-term plan at that point? Yeah, I didn't think about staying. You know, it's funny. When I left Nick, I was 23. So a lot of my decision didn't come from knowledge. It came from ignorance, like the bravery of me. If I knew what it means to become an immigrant, I would have given more thought. But I thought I was just going to go for school and finish school and come back and open my own studio in Damascus. I had like a whole plan. And I remember when I was saying bye to family and friends, there was an aunt that came to me and she said, you're never coming back. And I was so mad at her. I'm like, you don't know. You don't know. I'm coming back. Of course I'm coming back. For some reason, she knew. There was no war. There was nothing. Just people lived normally. But yeah, I, I yeah, the plan is, is still really in a way. I want to be buried in Damascus for sure. I romanticize the city a lot. I love Damascus. I think we were raised to love ugly cities. And Damascus is like, she's like not ugly. She has like a a charm because it's ancient. So like it has like a very distinct personality, but also its reality made her very, very ugly. You know, it has like the picture of the president everywhere. And it has like, you know, buildings on top of buildings and and it's very gray, but somehow it's so lovable. It's so charming. What are the charming sides of it that you miss? Where I live in my neighborhood, around spring, there's a seller of artichoke. Artichoke is very popular in Damascus. So around the same time every year, you hear the guy who sells artichoke passing by and and he has a very distinct way of calling. They're like a a wagon pulled by a horse and there's like vegetables on it and the guy riding it like passes by the houses and yelling, you know? So he yells, and you know, you know, like that. And you only hear it in a certain time of the year, you know? I miss his calling. (laughs) So how how did you end up stuck in in the U.S.? I went to Syria for a last visit in uh, the end of 2011. And that's when I decided I can't go back to Syria because things were starting to heat up. It started as a peaceful protest over there, but then it turned into armed conflict very quickly in about a year. And so it wasn't even a decision that I made. It was just like Obviously, I'm not going back. What was it like for you to be reading the news so far away and see what was going on? I mean, Uh, yeah. So back then, it started, if you remember, the Arab Spring with, uh, with Tunisia and then Egypt and then us. 
So I still remember being in the school shuttle, holding my phone, watching the Tahrir Square, if you remember. And I remember we were watching it on like the iPhone screen while going for a class. In the beginning, it was like, oh, I'm so glad I, we get to see it. There's internet. But then when things started to hit home, it became surreal and isolating in my neighborhood where I live behind the buildings. Like there's an area where there is fields of cactus, acres upon acres, like so much cactus. And the name of the area is named after these fields of cactus. I used to see it from my window. Some protesters hid in these fields. So the government decided to cut the cactus. These cactus are like so old. So I remember when those big trucks came and just carved the cactus in those fields and I'm watching it. I think my mom sent me a picture or it was like something on Facebook. I don't remember. But I'm like looking at it, seeing this like landmark, like this, this really like, um, like something, you know, you've always known it's, it's always been there that it's not there anymore. It just made me feel crazy. But then I looked up and there was like my roommate was like, does this look good? You know, like she's she's doing her own thing. And now I, I felt crazy, like like something incredibly shocking and upsetting happening home. But here no one knows and no one understands. And it was so isolating. I didn't know better. I didn't know that it's OK to talk about it, to explain your friends, blah, blah, blah. So I just isolated myself. That moment, I understood that no matter how much I assimilate into the society, I can never be completely a part of it because I have a whole identity somewhere else. I don't know if other Syrians are this way. Like some people can completely disconnect from the mess over there. I can't. Is that part of the reason that you reached out to this guy? Yeah. I th So this guy, should I tell you like how we started talking again? Yeah, please. I knew him for a long, long time. At the time he was married. My graduation project was about this Syrian author that I love and he also loves. And Which author? Oh, his name is um, Hamad al-Maghout. Yeah, very Syrian. Not, I don't think people know him outside of Syria. But it was funny because he showed me a picture of him visiting this author's grave. He went to a completely different city, drove there just to, you know, visit him. And I was like, oh, my God, I love him, too. I made my entire graduation project based on a poem that uh, this guy wrote. And that's how we connected. So we stayed in touch. He left Syria. He went to a city in the Arabian Peninsula. A couple of months ago, I just commented on something he wrote about World Cup. And just that conversation started and it didn't end. We just kept talking and jumping from one subject to another. And I was like, so how is the city he's in? His response was like, uh, oh, I'm back in Damascus. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, my children were my compass and now they're grown and they have their own lives. So I'm back in Damascus and my new compass is my family, his parents. I told him, <laughs> I told him like, you had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. And he started laughing. 
I think he's he's getting a lot of ridicule and a lot of criticism from his friends to go back to Syria. And I, I'm st- I still don't understand it to be honest. I'm I'm shocked. Like it's really, yeah. I, it's a it's an interesting decision in my opinion. And yeah, that's how we we started talking and. And it was just uh, that kind of connection where this person knows where you grew up. He knows my high school. He knows friends of friends. It's just so familiar, you know? It's really nice. (laughs) Yeah. When did you start to realize you're developing feelings for him? I've always liked him. He also has a romantic way of looking at the city and looking at being a Syrian. And I think he copes in the same way. I think I cope by romanticizing things. So I've always liked him from afar. I've always thought he's cute. But obviously he was married at the time and I was like, it's just nothing that came to mind. So when he started talking to me, I was like so excited. I was like, oh my God, I get to talk to him, blah, 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 you know? So I was giddy and I'm that kind of person who's like just, my feelings are always available. <laughs> so I was like just excited from the get-go. Throughout the whole thing, me talking to this guy, I always have in the back of my mind that this is just me visiting Damascus. But then one day I suggested that he reads this book. It's a Salman Rushdie book. It's called Midnight Children. And in Midnight Children, there is a part in the beginning where there's a doctor who falls in love with his patient and the way he falls in love with her. It's like a, it's, it's a very conservative uh, community. So the way he can go check up on, a, on her is always behind a veil, behind this sheet, this white sheet that has a hole. What they do, it's like she has a stomach ache, so he can just look at her stomach through that hole. And then some other times, oh, her ankle hurts, so he can just look at her ankle through this hole. It's such a cool story. So this doctor starts putting together all these different parts of this woman's body from that hole in his mind, like a puzzle, you know, like putting it together. And... And we talked about, you know, (laughs) that story, how sexy and how cool and so, and it feels like the WhatsApp experience. You're not getting this whole person. You're just getting these bits and parts of this person through the whole of those voice notes, you know? So you, you're forming an image of this person based on these bits and parts that he sends me through the voice notes. And I and that made me like really, you know, giddy and I had butterflies in my stomach. Have you ever talked with him directly about any of this stuff? Like your feelings? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Like honestly, as a person, him as a person, I think he's just a flirt. But I think he does that with a lot of girls, to be honest. I think he mentioned it to me. He's like, he also talks to a lot of girls, a lot of Syrians. And he mentioned it a few times. He's like, I'm, you know, I, I can't have relationships after my divorce. I am done with relationships and I'm all about open relationships. And a lot of women don't like that. And he talks about that a lot. So one day I was like, well, I just want to let you know, 
I was like, hey, I have feelings. This is so cute. And he's a flirt. So there's a lot of flirting. But it's it's not much. It's not more than just just uh, a way to visit home to feel this really nice feeling of nostalgia. I don't think it's more than that. I think it's a way for someone like me who hasn't been able to go to Syria for so long to to visit somehow through somebody else. And I told him what what I am, like how am I feeling. He was like, oh, yeah, me, me too, me too. I, I don't, you know, I don't have feelings for someone who's super far away. And so we had that exchange. We had that um, that conversation. And I think we both agreed that this is, this is what it is. It's just two Syrians who are super lonely and, uh, and isolated because of all the shit um, connecting, you know. Um, yeah, with very low stakes, I guess, because we're very far away from each other. From your call, it almost sounded like I almost got the impression that, like, if not for the Civil War, you would you would fucking go back there and try to start a relationship with this guy. Is that is that accurate at all? I, I mean, not a relationship, but I would I wish I can meet him and talk to him face to face. And see how I feel in his presence. Yeah, maybe when I left my secret, I was in a headspace that was like, so like I had like a bad crush, like a really strong crush at the time. But the logic thing to say is that, yeah, it's not a relationship. No. Did that change because your more rational brain started kicking in or was that tied in with the earthquake at all? I think both. I think. It had started to fade before the earthquake. And then when the earthquake hit, we were chatting. And I was like, hey, are you okay? And we laughed about it and we kept talking. We thought it was just in Damascus and we thought it was just one of these little earthquakes. We had no idea the scope of the catastrophe. Afterwards, when I learned how big it is, I kind of felt, I think my survival guilt uh, kicked in, felt a little stupid. (laughs) I think we're all became occupied with what's happening right now and don't really have the bandwidth to flirt and talk about other things. We were just saying like, I feel really bad. Yeah, me too. I know. I know. I know. You know, (laughs) like after a while, there's, it's like an empty circle. You're going in it. I don't feel like talking anymore. And I think he's in the same boat. Does it feel kind of nice to have someone there who you have this connection to, or does it feel like a burden? It feels definitely nice. Like, I would ask, like, how is Damascus? How is everyone doing? Like, what is the overall vibe? I have family there, but they don't, we don't talk, you know, that. Uh, often or or in, in that way, you know. Um, so it was nice to ask him, how is it? But after a while, you asking things that you know the answer to. Or maybe you had I had expectation that this will make me feel better or this will make me feel like I'm an insider or I'm there. And then it, it really doesn't. It just, it just does. A really terrible tease, you know, 
because he has the luxury to go help, to go donate, to go just lift boxes. I would love a box to lift. He can go to a, a, a funeral, to a memorial. What what a luxury. <laughs> I feel jealous. <laughs> because you can't lift boxes, what are you doing instead? This is like the difficulty of it, Nick, is there's so little I can do. I donated and I'm just sharing shit online as much as I can. I made a small video for artists and creatives, how to deal with mental health. And on Wednesday, I'm going to do like this thing where she show me a receipt. I'll do a drawing of you for like the whole day. Other than that, like, I don't know. It's that's part of the, my suffering. <laughs> like, is that there's nothing to do. Like, there's very little to do being very far, you know. You were talking a little bit about how you were hesitant to talk about this love story, given everything that's going on. Mm. Do you still feel self-conscious? I mean, um, yeah, I feel like when I wanted to talk to you about it before, I wanted to talk about a Syrian experience that not a lot of people know it exists or talk about because when the Syrian context comes up, it's always people in camps or refugees or whatever. And I thought it would be fun and interesting to talk about what are Syrian artists up to or how do they cope? But I had no idea our suffering had not even concluded or it something even more catastrophic and crazy is going to happen. And, and, it, and everything felt really small and really s- stupid afterwards. Like it's every, like felt like everything felt meaningless against this catastrophe. Who cares, you know, but also to be honest, I'm like, well, Syrian love fucking matters. And Syrian joy, it could be a form of resistance. Like an act of hope by a Syrian is so outlandish to hope that this region is going to be amazing in the future, is going to survive and thrive in the future, is so out of anybody's mind right now that just bringing it up might be an act of resistance. When I say stuff like that, my Syrian friends, usually they laugh and say like, this is ridiculous. You should go there. It's uninhabitable or like really bad or whatever. But maybe this me being naive is actually helpful because in some ways, if we are completely logical, nothing will change. So maybe if some of us are naive, or dreamy, although it's absolutely illogical, it's important because otherwise the status quo will continue or or it will be the same. I don't know. And maybe this is me being completely trying to to be relevant when I am completely far and irrelevant to the Syrian experience. I don't know. Fuck. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's it for The Secrets Hotline, for now. 
If you're interested in volunteering or donating to help the victims of the earthquake in Syria and Turkey, the caller recommended several aid organizations. I have links to them up in the show notes. I'll be back with our usual format of your calls next week. And you can always leave your own secret or any other feedback you have about the show at 929secrets or at secretshotline.org. If you call back within 24 hours, I will not publish your call. Our opening theme is by George Langford, and our end theme is by Stephen Jackson. The Secrets Hotline is a labor of love and radio. What's up, buddy? Mom's working tonight, remember? We're talking. I'm recording something for my podcast. Will you go watch the movie so I can finish recording, please? No, is this me? The Secrets Hotline is a labor of love and radio and made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. I'm Nicholas Sardine Punch Punch Vanderkolk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>